the Panhandle News Network. Hey, good Thursday morning. It's Panhandle Sports Live for this 21st day of September in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm your host of Panhandle Sports Live, at least for today, uh, Luke Wiggs, as we've got Parker Stone headed for punt- putting for the Panhandle that's going on in Inwood today. We'll check in with him a little bit later on in the hour. It's JD's in Inwood, I believe he's going to. I've never been to JD's in Inwood, but from what I understand, it's a pretty cool town down there. But uh, that's all to benefit Panhandle Home Health. We'll be talking about that coming up in the 845 time slot. Parker Stone will come back to, of course, give the legendary Parker's picks and talk about Thursday night football. Folks, I have a feeling Parker's listening as he's driving down 81 right now. I do not have high expectations for the Giants against the 49ers tonight. I'm going to assume he doesn't either, even as an optimistic Giants fan, but we'll also get his opinions on that. Again, you can always text the show at 304-263-4321. A couple of texts to wake up to this morning that were sent yesterday for those of you that take in the show via the podcast. And we love you podcast listeners. Thank you. And continue sending in your questions. Uh, a comment yesterday, and we want to get right into it uh, because we had a texter responding to the SSAC playoff rankings and how they've affected Martinsburg. Martinsburg's undefeated on the season, folks, but it doesn't matter in the eyes of the SSAC because of the out-of-state competition that they're playing. It hasn't affected well their playoff ranking, and so the Bulldogs sit at 13, which has caused a lot of discussion. And this texter says, in response to me offering anybody to give a solution, says, the way to fix gameplay for Martinsburg, and I want to make sure I get this right texture, and you're welcome to clarify this uh, tomorrow, is at the end of the season, the top five AAA schools should have to play each other, and then you play the other EPAC teams. That'll give you a 10-game season and a better ranking during the season. So my interpretation of what you're saying is you would like the top five AAA schools from one season the next season to play each other. It's an interesting concept. It's almost like conference play, and it's almost like college basketball when you you start the season by kind of rematching the national championship when you play in some ballroom in Las Vegas in November. Uh, So I I kind of understand the sentiment. Here's the only thing I would say to that, though. Let's look at who the top five teams in AAA are right now. And let's say that Martinsburg would be one of them in theory because this is a plan that would benefit Martinsburg in theory. Morgantown's number one. And that's not that far a trip. That's a trip that Martinsburg has made in the past. But look at everybody else. Parkersburg, you're looking at four and a half hours right there. Huntington, I've made that trip last year with Jefferson. In fact, Jefferson's made it twice, so they don't have to tell you about that. Um, they're number three, Princeton. I honestly have no idea how far away Princeton is from here, but I'm assuming it's five-plus hours. Marsha Kavalik says it's five hours. And then Cabell Midland, or as my buddy liked to refer to them as, Cabell Midland. Cabell Midland, also in that Huntington area. So that would be a tough ask. You know, if you have to play two of those teams on at their place and then they have to come to yours, those are some trips that I, I don't necessarily know if you can get athletic directors around. But you're right. Is there a way for the SSAC to legislate teams to play tougher schedules? I don't think that's an issue that you have in AAA with teams ducking teams, with the exception of Martinsburg. 
you know, you look at the teams in, in Class AAA, and those Charleston area teams have to play each other anyways because they're in a conference. You know, Morgantown has never shied away from playing a tough schedule. University hasn't shied away from playing a tough schedule. So I don't know if that's something that the SSAC can legislate. Ironically, we're going to be talking about the SSAC and legislation coming up in our second segment because we had that long uh, high school sports line last night talking about the one-time transfer rule. Britt Sherman was a guest. We'll hear some of his comments back and the varying opinions on that show about the one-time transfer rule. But it's an interesting proposition to try to fix what's going on uh, with Martinsburg football. Um, I just don't know how practical it would be, but I appreciate the texture. I threw out the gauntlet. I said, hey, give me a solution. And guess what? He gave me a solution. Uh, but Martinsburg is going to have to figure out of those five non-conference games how many they want to play in the national or regional style of schedule. And they might just have to, even if it's one game or two, add an in-state team back to that list and find out who that team's going to be. I find it hard to believe that in all of Class AAA, you're looking at 31 other teams other than Martinsburg. You know, we saw the athletic director of Spring Valley say on Twitter, we talked about it on the show yesterday, he said, we'd play Martinsburg every year if we weren't so dang far apart. And they played each other for a home-and-home, and, home. and it was exciting because, again, it was Spring Valley that ended the long winning streak that Martinsburg had. You know, is Morgantown a university going to be one of those teams that will play Martinsburg? I don't know if you get anything. Uh, my beloved Preston Knights, I've got family from Preston. I don't necessarily know if Martinsburg would gain what they were looking for by playing a team like Preston every year. You know, you've got Hampshire a little bit closer. Hampshire's, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to find out the right combination of teams and uh, set yourself up for some long road trips if that's what it takes for Martinsburg to play an in-state schedule. Another text I want to get to here in the first segment, we've got a couple other things I want to get to as well, but Musselman is still stirring the pot and stirring the conversation. First-time texter into the show, and I appreciate your text, uh, sends this about the Musselman football team. Unfortunately, yes, there are knee-jerk reactions happening at Musselman. All work from summer months being scraped. The Applemen have not run the ball well the last two games, but now they want to go to a tight power formation and focus on running it. And again, this is what people are saying. I haven't heard it from the coaching staff. I haven't talked to Coach Thomas in a while, but a lot of people are saying that Musselman is heading in this direction. As a football fan, I don't get it at all, and I can understand why much of the staff and players would be upset. I guess they think this will avoid the speed mismatch on the outside. That's a fair assessment. Why else would you do it? Musselman showed they could beat good teams during the first two games, and now they are overreacting to two losses and see Martinsburg and Cowell coming up. I agree with that sentiment as well. It's been in this situation before, and it never turns out well. You can't expect teenagers to play well. Again, I'm uh, quoting the texture here. To play well when you throw everything out and start over, the coach uh, must be being pressured into doing this. I don't think that uh, Coach Thomas will get pressured into doing anything. He says it's sad to see. Maybe the Musselman fans who will be yelling at the boys down there on Friday nights need to think about what caused the mess. Those same fans probably still think they can beat the Bulldogs based on their schedule this year. I'd say that's true. Uh, I don't think Coach Thomas is being pressured into anything. I think these next two games, I appreciate the text, are tough for Musselman because you're 2-2 two and two and you're looking at a pretty crooked scoreline against Martinsburg. And this is a Musselman program that put up two and a half quarters of really good football against Martinsburg last year, and it's going to be hard for them to replicate that. So you're looking at, and it's hard to say a game's over before you kicked it off because anything can happen in football. Uh, shout out to Bill Stewart. But I understand that Musselman is now in a position where they're thinking, man, we've got Martinsburg on the horizon, we've got Campbell Midland on the horizon, and we may take very two very tough losses in a row. Now, if you look at the rest of Musselman's schedule, I think there are winnable games to get them back to 5-5. Five and five. So in my perspective, what I've said is Musselman just needs what they need to do what they need to do to get through these next two games. 
uh, and then try to get into the back half of their season competitive. You know, just kind of throw everything at Martinsburg and figure out how you need to move the football. Another way of looking at it is trying to play ball control and playing this power style of football. Musselman can play with multiple tight ends. They've got a very good offensive line. They can play with a sixth lineman like WVU does with Nick Malone. So maybe one way of looking at it is Musselman's going to go into this power set to try to play ball control over the next two games and just move on then, take two losses and get into the back half of the season. I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Coach Thomas in that program. I've got a lot of respect for every coach in the panhandle. I find it hard to believe that with Eli Fleming, removed from these next two games because you got to do what you got to do, that he's not going to be able to throw the ball because that's how they won the first two games of the season. You know, I don't know what Isaiah Beard's status is, but it's clear that he's their speediest guy. And without him as a downfield threat, they've struggled to get separation from their wide receivers. But I don't see Musselman abandoning everything just yet and going to that ground and pound style, especially since they don't really have the running back personnel to do that, in my opinion. I think Sanders is a very talented running back, but he's a running back for a scheme concept. And the same for Colton Shelton. And not to mention this Appleman defense is really, really, really good. It's something we didn't talk about enough going into the season. Uh, and so I, I think it bears notice that they held Morgantown to 10 points in a game where their offense struggled to move the ball. So, Musselman fans, again, to put a bow on this conversation, these next two games may be rough. You're going to have to prepare yourself for some relatively rough football. But rally around your team because we want to see five panhandle teams get into the postseason this year, and that only happens if Musselman is going to be able to establish some success in the back end of the season and get into the postseason. If you missed it yesterday, we had Hedgesville head football coach Matt Faircloth on the show. He's going to be a part of our Panhandle High School football game of the week. If you tune on to these same stations this Friday night, myself and Parker Stone will have the call. Hedgesville taking on Washington, a battle of two and two teams, and we've talked about it. I'll again lay out the situation. Winner of that game is a chance to make the postseason. Loser of that game is not eliminated from the postseason, but it's going to be very tough in the back end of the season. Martinsburg takes on Jefferson this week, and Spring Mills takes on North Hagerstown. We'll talk about those games tomorrow. We also have a very winnable game for Berkeley Springs as they take on Oakland. That's going to be Saturday at 4 p.m. You can hear that on 92.9 WXDC. And uh, we'll set that up a little bit more when we have Parker Stone on tomorrow, along with Berkeley Springs head football coach Wes Eddy, as I get the sneaking suspicion in Morgan County that they've got a chance to pick up their first one of the season. Also coming up this weekend, 95.9 The Big Dog, we've got Shepherd football as they take on Kutztown with a noon kickoff. Myself and Parker Stone will have the call for that one. And a reminder that we've got the Ernie McCook Show live from Captain Bender's Tavern. It's burger night, 7.30 tonight, 95.9 The Big Dog. If you want to catch things up with what's going on in the world of Shepherd football, we will have that for you on 95.9 The Big Dog. Again, that will begin at 7.30. The Orioles played last night. Unfortunately, the Orioles lost last night. They were walked off by the Houston Astros, and a tough, tough game to swallow. 2-1 to one the final, and here's how it sounded on KBME in Houston. Mullins in center shades the other way, infield and outfield, both come in. Dubon lifts it in the right, base hit! That'll score Diaz! Astros walk it off, 2-1! to one. Your winners, and still all alone in first place in the AL West, the Houston Astros. Again, that call courtesy of KBME. 2-1 to one the final score. The Orioles pick up their 57th loss of the season. They're still two and a half games up in the American League East and don't push the panic button because the O's have won five of their last ten games and are starting to right that skid. And a massive win for the Astros, who still remain a game up, or half game up, on both the Mariners and the Rangers in the American League West. It's a new series. Yesterday was getaway day. That's why they had that 2 p.m. first pitch. Uh, they're taking on Cleveland today, are the Orioles. 7-15 first pitch. We'll have it for you here tonight on WBPM and WCST following 
the sports line. We'll take a break. When we return, really interesting edition of High School Sports Line last night. Fred Persinger, Dave Jekyll, and Joe Bricado got into the one-time transfer rule. One of their guests was Martinsburg head football coach Britt Sherman. We'll listen to part of that Britt Sherman interview and kind of get some of my thoughts on that discussion. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have Kerry Moore from D2Football.com. Crazy weekend for PSAC football again. Did Shepard just win their division? Not necessarily, depending on how we ask Kerry, but they just played the toughest team on their schedule, in my opinion. We'll see what the division looks like the rest of the conference. We'll talk about the crazy finish to that Lock Haven football game on the other side. Uh, but you're listening to Panhandle Sports Live on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back, Panhandle Sports Live on this Thursday, the 21st day of September on the eve of another football Friday. And again, coming up tomorrow, we'll have the Panhandle High School football game of the week between Hedgesville and Washington. Tonight on 95.9 The Big Dog, we'll have another edition of the Ernie McCook Show. But last night, if you're able to tune in, we had it on this station, High School Sports Line, hosted by Fred Persinger, the legendary Dave Jekyll, and the even more legendary Fred Persinger, and some may argue the even more legendary Joe Bricado. Uh, we're talking the high school transfer portal. Bunch of different perspectives. One editor's note, and I don't know if they mentioned this on the show yesterday. I don't know if they want me to mention this, but guess what? I will. Uh, Ryan Weld, the senator that started a lot of this legislation uh, uh, for up from the northern Panhandle area, was not able to be on the show yesterday. He was willing, but they had a bridge opening, if you heard on the morning news, uh, up in the Moundsville area. So he was not able to come on and talk about why he would be more so in favor of this one-time transfer rule. But Martinsburg head football coach Britt Sherman joined. He started by talking about how this season has gone for Martinsburg, and then you'll hear in a moment him transition to his thoughts on this one-time transfer rule. But this is how it sounded in a high school sports line last night. Yeah, we're having we're starting out having a having a great year. And, you know, we're just playing really hard. Kids are giving a lot of effort and uh, just flying around having fun. And and uh, it's been really good so far. Yeah, you played you played Canada, you played Ohio, you played Virginia. Uh, I guess what, uh, are you going across the pond to play London anytime soon? Well, you know, I don't know if anybody's called, but we're just trying to take all comers right now, trying to fill a schedule, so we haven't got mine on. They didn't send you and Jefferson over to Wembley Stadium for this weekend or anything? <laughs> no, I think I think we're going to stay at home this weekend at Coburn, so I think we'll be all right. Well, before we talk to you, talk to you about what the show's kind of about tonight, tell us about the game against Jefferson coming up. Cougars are 2-1. and one. Martinsburg's 4-0. What kind of matchup do you expect on Friday? Well, I mean, it's a big rivalry. Jefferson's the last local team that uh, has has beaten us. And, uh, you know, they have a really good team this year and have a lot of a lot of talent and coach really well. Coach Hunter has them ready and, you know, they had an open week last, last week to get ready for us. So, you know, we've been working really hard this week to try to put a good product on the field Friday night. So, Britt, we wanted to get your perspective and a coach perspective, but also as a student athlete who went through uh, a transfer himself back in his younger days, and uh, you did that. Give us your thought process when you made the decision to transfer to Martinsburg. You said it was obviously a great uh, decision at the time, and obviously you've set yourself up very well for a long and successful run at Martinsburg. What went into your thought process at the time? Well, I mean, at the time in '98, uh, they opened up. You know, you could pretty you could go anywhere you wanted to, as long as you provided your own transportation. So, you know, it wasn't an easy decision. Uh, you know, I really liked uh, my friends and in the community there at, in East Hardy and Baker, and uh, you know, growing up with Fives, had a great childhood. 
had you know friends on my team that you know played at WVU. Had a childhood friend that went and ran cross country at Old Dominion. So, uh, you know, I grew up a lot of, around a lot of talented, talented guys, and uh, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision. But at the end of the day, my brother was uh, coaching in Martinsburg, and, and uh, Coach Walker had coached me as his water boy, ball boy, and, and known him for you know already 12 years of my life. And uh, you know, I played played there in East Hardy in '97. You know, without him, uh, one of the assistants took over. And, you know, with that opportunity that year to, that they opened it up, I was like, you know, I, I want to explore it. And so I started looking into it a little bit. And, and, you know, not only the football aspect and just, you know, getting back with Coach Walker, I was able to take six classes that I wasn't able to take at East Hardy because we were single A. I was able to wrestle. We didn't have a wrestling team. So it just opened up a lot of opportunities to, for me uh, you know, to come to Martinsburg, and it was the best decision I ever made. Being, you know, making a life here and coming back and coaching here, and, and uh, you know, it was just something that my family and I decided, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that now. Let me ask you this, Brett: uh, Had it not been for the other the the, the classes and the wrestling program, and had it only been that Coach Walker was there? Would you have made that decision? It would have been very tough. I, that, that's yeah. a good question, Fred, and, and I don't know that I would have because, yeah. you know, it was the classes and, 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 you know, being able to play other sports and all that, leaving, you know, leaving your friends as a high schooler, that's, that's, that's tough. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot, of, a lot of times younger, even younger kids, you know, back when it was the ninth grade rule, they made a lot of bad decisions with that being 14 year olds, but you know I was 17 years old and and you know my family and I weighed it and it, you know it wasn't easy I, driving driving an hour and 15 minutes from Matthias to, to Martinsburg you know pretty much daily for a while you know it's not an easy thing so it, it would have it would have been tough to make that just just for you know those purposes but I will say you know loyalty goes in into a lot of these conversations with, with, you know, school loyalty and things like that. And, and I always told people, you know, loyalty has different facets. Are you loyal to, you know, my brother was coaching there. My, you know, Coach Walker, a great family friend, a guy that I consider family now and, and did at that point. You know, do you, do you go against family to stay, you know, at your home school that you've been at with your friends? It was, yeah, it was hard. But not everybody's in that same situation as we sit here in 2023 as far as the the rural area, the opportunities at East Hardy versus the opportunities at Martinsburg. Should this just be something that where the the rule is now, that it stays the same and we just leave it to the families to make the decision? Or do we need to take a look at maybe going back a little bit to the way it was before with the waiver program? I really like the way it is now, to be honest with you. I've seen it, you know, for the last, of course, with, with that year with me. And then I, they went back after that. And, of course, I didn't see that when I was in college. But, uh, you know, over the years I've seen a lot of a lot of 14-year-olds make really bad decisions going into the ninth grade year. And, you know, hey, I just want to stay with my friends. I want to do this. And, and then, you know, they get to their 10th, 11th grade year, and they're like, well, I, did, I made a bad decision. I want to come you know, either to Martinsburg or leave Martinsburg or, or whatever the, the um, 
you know, instance is. And then by the time they get to 10th, 11th grade, they can't do it. So it, it, even though it's a little bit harder now because, you know, you could go anywhere you wanted to as a ninth grader, but then you could always go home. I think kids can get to 10th, 11th grade and, and, and make a decision being a little bit more mature and their families getting to see, you know, exactly what they've gotten themselves into. Brent, in your experience, since you've seen it now, uh, being at East Hardy and Martinsburg, generally, is there a, a pretty wide gap in the amount of opportunities, both academically and athletically, between a small Class A school and a larger AAA school? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really big and it's huge, it's, and and it's not from the fault of any of the teachers and and, and faculty or anything like that at smaller schools. It's just it's resources, it's population. You know, I had teachers at East Hardy that were the best teachers I ever had. But, you know, when you only have, when you're only going to graduate with 54 kids, they can't offer chemistry to anatomy and physiology, civil war history, uh, all physics, all the classes that, that I got to take at Martinsburg because there would have been three or four of us in there and, and they don't just don't have that faculty. Talking with Brett Sherman from Martinsburg High School. Uh, let me ask you this, Brett, and I don't want to. I don't want to age you or anything, but your decision you said you made, you still you you had to think long and hard about it before you finally made that decision. What about, let's say, pre-social media, and now post-social media? Was the was the would the decision have been easier, harder? Had social media been then like it is now? And that's a really good question, too, and I, I don't know that I can give us a, a, a great answer with that because it was pre-social media, and that was, you know, people. I was having people actually come to my house and sit down with me and talk to me about, you know, my baseball coach there at the time, Raymond Snap, came and was like, you know, you're a really good baseball player. Why, you know, why are you leaving? We got guys that are in a marshal, and, you know, I can get you there. And I was like, you know, I, I love baseball, but, I, you know, my passion was football. And, you know, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't completely about football. It was about, you know, all the opportunities that I had. So, you know, as a kid then, you had to sit down and actually face-to-face communicate with, with coaches like that. And now, a lot of times, you know, it's text and, and, and social media and things like that. And you'd like to think that some kids don't make that decision on that, but I think some of them, just want to get that graphic and and get that transfer portal or put up that they want to they're blessed that they got this offer and that offer and sometimes you ask them are you really blessed or are you bragging because it's you know it's it looks a little bit like you're just bragging on social media that that you're doing this so you wonder about some of those intentions but i think at the end of the day it's it's uh, the parents and and the student athlete have to have to live with that decision, so you think that they put a lot of thought into it. I hope I asked this question the right way. It makes sense in my head. See how it sounds coming out. As a high school football coach, or just any coach in general, before this law went into place, there were certain ways that an athlete could transfer. Now this has certainly opened up a one-transfer rule that is much more conducive to switching schools. As a coach... Have you had or could you see situations where athlete students, they're, they're kids, they're, they're teenagers, come in and say, hey, coach, am I going to have a chance to play in the next two years? If not, I'm going over here. 
And does it create a situation through this new law where coaches might end up being put in a situation, I don't want to say uncomfortable situation, but maybe beyond what you felt like your role should have been as an, as a, as a football coach or a coach in general? I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to articulate it the best I can. Yeah, I, I get kind of what you're what you're getting at and and you know over years we've you know we talked about the transfer thing and i I really like joe's article because it's not it it really is not new it's not new we've talked we've had to talk to kids before and and you know we've we've probably had more kids leave our program than we've actually had come in and the kids have sat down with us and they're like well i think i'm i want to go to somewhere else and and we'll talk to them and like we'll we'll, you know it all boils down to playing time it really does. There might be some some personality differences every once in a while, but most of the time it boils down to playing time because people, you know, you want to play, you want to you want to get on the field and you want to play, and you know, if, if you have college aspirations, you have to have film and, and all that stuff. And and we, you know, we've talked to kids about it, and you know, we've we've had a great group of kids that have you know waited their turn, played hard on JV, worked hard in the off season. And you know, earned their spot and done that. And we've had some kids that didn't want to do that and didn't want to didn't want to compete. And we, you know, we tell kids all the time: you either compete or you run from competition. And you know, I think that's that's always been our mindset. And we've never told a kid, you know, well, if you don't leave, I promise you, you'll start at corner next year or anything like that. We we always promise kids a fair shot to. The kids in our program. If you stay here, you're going to have a fair shot to play a position. We're not. We don't play favorites. We play the best eleven, and you know that's the only thing we can go off is our integrity and character. And you know if they don't they don't want to continue to to be part of it, then you know that's just the way it is. That was Britt Sherman on High School Sports Line yesterday. You can find that complete podcast, I believe, on the Metro News website. You're more than welcome to chime in with your comments on uh, what Coach Sherman said, kind of your opinions on the transfer portal. Uh, we got to get to this break quickly because we have Kerry Moyer coming up, but I did have one text that came in during Coach Sherman's comments. And, of course, Metro News appreciates him lending his time and a unique perspective because, admittedly, I had forgotten that he had transferred from East Hardy to Martinsburg, and I thought that was an interesting perspective. Uh, but a texter says, in regards to the transfer portal, I think it's going to be more prevalent in basketball in the Eastern Panhandle, and you're going to see a few minimal transfers in baseball. You know, I've heard a lot of the same thing. And this has been a problem for Panhandle basketball teams, not just transferring to programs within the EPAC, but you've got Goretti up in uh, Hagerstown. You've got Washington, D.C. so close. Prep schools come and knock in, and some of these basketball players go a walk in. So I agree with the texture. I think we're going to see some significant reshuffling for basketball. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be through the one-time transfer rule or not, um, but it, you know, it's just this is here for the rest of the academic year. So we're just going to figure out how to deal with it, and it's up to the legislature if they want it to be permanent or fix it in the next session. Uh, we'll have to see then. But again, those were Coach Sherman's comments on last night's high school sports line. We'll take a break. Come back in a moment. We've got Kerry Moyer from D2Football.com. We'll talk a little PSAC football, a little Shepherd football after this. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back in Panhandle Sports Live on this Thursday edition. And Thursday usually means that D2 football columnist or D2.com football columnist for the PSAC, Kerry Moore, will be joining the program. And Kerry's on the phone right now. Can you hear me? How are you today, sir? 
Uh, doing great. Getting ready for week four. Absolutely. I want to dive right into this. So a friend of mine, uh, the legendary Nick Severini, is the voice of Lock Haven football. He's only able to do the home games, but he was very quick to show me how that game ended last week against Clarion. I want to start by talking about all of the action that we saw in the PSAC last week, but were you able to see the crazy finish to that Lock Haven game and kind of what were your takeaways of Lock Haven improving to two and one? Well, I think unless you live under a rock, everybody saw it because it certainly uh, <laughs> it certainly made its way around social media and uh, yeah, just a crazy finish. And hey, you know, great for Lockhaven. And again, you know, uh, Coach Mole's there now uh, that had a whole year of his own recruiting class and uh, just real positive culture there. And uh, you know, again, it's uh, two and one's a great position to be in going into divisional play. Absolutely. Well, looking to some of the other results from last week, what kind of caught your eye the most? You know, Kutztown needed a, a bounce back win. They got it over Mercyhurst. Westchester's gotten off to a very good start to the season, as has East Stroudsburg. What were kind of some of the games that jumped out to you from last week's results? Well, you know, like you said, you know, with Westchester, it was good to see them going the two and one, and also in the the PSAC East, uh, Millersville fell the two and one, you know, running into uh, you know Slippery Rock, you know, last week, and uh, Slippery Rock a little bit of a slow start, some miscues, but you know, then goes and uh, has thirty five uh, unanswered points to put up, you know, fifty five for the game. Um, so again, you know, we, we've kind of been talking about the last couple of weeks. It's the, those bubble teams. You know, we we always expect the Slippery Rocks, the IUPs. You know, Cal's. Uh, you know, seems to have their feet underneath them. And uh, you know, of course, in the, the East, we're you know always looking at Shepherd and Kutztown again, one two in the the uh, preseason um, you know rankings there with Shepherd one, Kutztown two, and we'll see that match up this week. But uh, again, uh, you know, Millersville, Westchester, but really East Stroudsburg. I think is, uh, you know, I said two weeks ago when they beat IUP uh, about getting, you know, a little bit more respect nationally. And uh, they're 3-0, and uh, you know, they're just putting up a, a lot of points. And um, you know, with, with that, uh, you know, they, they beat IUP 13-12 two weeks ago. But the amount of points that they're putting up against everybody else, uh, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting in the East for, for Shepard, you know, with, with Kutztown this week. But then, uh, you know, it, it's not an easy schedule in the East with uh, East Stroudsburg and Motorville and Westchester. Well, I want to ask you a dangerous question here, Kerry, because we can ask dangerous questions on this show. That result that Shepard got against Cal, it was important for them to, to win a game by multiple possessions the first time they've done this this season. And there's a part of me that wants to say, this is dangerous, I know, that Cal is the best team on Shepard's schedule, and they just beat the, obviously it's the PSAC, every week anybody can beat anybody, but do you also kind of get that sentiment that, you know, Cal was certainly the biggest test that Shepard had faced, and potentially from a talent standpoint, the best team that they're going to face in the regular season? You know, the, the, you know, last season and this season, that the Cal Shepherd game, you know, has just been, it was a dogfight, you know, both times. And, you know, uh, I started putting out my uh, PSAC power ranking now each week and uh, have Slippery Rocket number one, Shepherd at number two. There's no rocket science, no analytics with it. it it's real <laughs> simple. It's, you know, Shepherd. Is, is number two in my power ranking, and they should be able to beat, you know, everybody else uh, in the PSAC, the other, you know, 14 teams that that are behind them. Uh, you know, Kutztown, again, a slow start. Uh, we saw it last year, and, uh, you know, they kind of got their feet underneath them last week. 
against Mercyhurst. Um, but this is, uh, you know, th- this is a big one to get through this week coming up. But, you know, uh, definitely that, that Cal team, you know, they, they lost a quarterback who had been there, you know, for, for four or five years uh, with Noah Mitchell. And so there were a lot of question marks, but um, I think they've answered them. And uh, it's going to be a dogfight in the West with, with Cal and IUP and, uh, and um, Slippery Rock. But to answer your question, right now you could say Cal – Cal may have been the the toughest team they ran into. I'll put one question mark in there though, and that's East Stroudsburg. With uh, what East Stroudsburg did in, in beating IUP, um, um, you know, in the East, I think that's going to be the biggest test coming up um, for Shepard. Absolutely, and them and East Stroudsburg, obviously, the two remain remaining unbeaten's in the, the the Eastern Division, but and not overlooking Kutztown or Bloomsburg, just like you mentioned, kind of slower starts to the season. But you've got those three two and one teams in Lockhaven, Millersville, and Westchester, and Millersville and Westchester, if I'm correct, play each other this week. But like you mentioned, Lockhaven's playing with a little bit of magic and a little bit of fire. Westchester and their athletes have always scared me, and, and, and Millersville has gotten some impressive results. So for a Shepherd football fan, Kerry, again, obviously you'd look immediately to East Strasburg and their 3-0 record and the way they've started the season. But of those three 2-1 teams, uh, who do you think has the best sustainability in terms of their personnel to go deep into the season with a good record and challenge Shepherd uh, for that, that top spot in the Eastern Division? Of those two and one teams, I, I would say Millersville. Again, they had a great second half of the season last year. Uh, you know that two and one, their one loss again is to uh, Slippery Rock. You know my pick for the top team right now in uh, the PSAC. Um, it, it, I think it's going to be a fun game this weekend. It's going to be at Millersville, and uh, when you look at the two quarterbacks, Cooper Jordan for Westchester uh, and Robert Footman uh, for. Um, Millersville, um, you know, they're, they're both dual threat quarterbacks. They can, they can certainly hurt you with their arm, but they both put up a lot of, uh, yards, uh, on the ground as well. Uh, you know, for Westchester Cooper, Jordan's been their leading rusher, you know, each week and, uh, you know, they're both, uh, dazzling. So <laughs> I think that's going to, that'll kind of, uh, tell us a little bit more. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, when uh, my my preview comes out, you're you're going to see that I have the the edge going to Millersville in this one. I just think J.C. Morgan, you know, uh, really has kind of developed that program. You know, of course, he was the O.C. at Shepherd or at uh, Shippensburg, sorry, you know, way back in the day, and so he's really familiar with the East. But um, again, not quite uh, up to you know the the level that Slippery Rock was. We saw that last week, but uh, I think yeah, you know, they're they're going to be right there. Uh, with East Stroudsburg in the East knocking on the door. Again, we're speaking with Kerry Moyer of D2Football.com. And lastly, Kerry, like you mentioned, uh, the, the preview coming out for another week of PSAC football. Where can our listeners find it? And uh, what games are going to be drawing the most attention uh, from you this week? Well, um, putting it out there now, my uh, my game of the week in the PSAC, uh, I'm going to be attending. So coming down to Shepherd to see uh, Kutztown come into Ooh. town. So again, it's the you got to let these first three games kind of, uh, you know, be what they are, you know, whether you're, you know, one and two, you know, like uh, Kutztown is three and oh, a shepherd is, this is when it gets real. We're again in the divisional play. Everybody's in that, that fight to get that top spot to represent the East or the West in the, uh, uh, you know, in the PSAC championship game. So, uh, yep. The, uh, <laughs> the game of the week for me, I'll be at Kutztown at, at, at shepherd. Awesome. Well, we'll be looking for you this Saturday, Carrie. And as always, we appreciate your time. 
No, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll step up and see you guys in the press box. Awesome. Very good. That's Kerry Moyer of D2Football.com. Fantastic writers. Got a lot of content coming out over the next couple of days as to what's going to happen in the PSAC football conference because it's been a really, really, really exciting uh, start to the season, and I would expect it to be an exciting finish to the season as well. Final break to take. When we return, we'll be joined by Parker Stone. We'll get Parker's picks, and we'll get you set up for a little Thursday night football. Let's see what Parker Stone has to say about his Giants as they take the field against the 49ers. That comes your way after this. Final segment of Panhandle Sports Live. Let's try that again. Final segment of Panhandle Sports Live for this Thursday on the 21st day of September. I'm Luke Wiggs, and now joining us via the magic of radio and more so the magic of telephone lines, on location at putting for the Panhandle is Parker Stone. Parker, set the scene. What's going on in N1 right now? Yeah, Luke, so we're just setting up mainly right now with the people over at Panhandle Home Health and at JD's Family Fun Center over here in Inwood. Just getting the pieces put together right now before – a flock of people comes in, a lot of local businesses and community leaders are coming out for this event this afternoon. There's going to be two rounds of golf. One will be starting in the putt-putt area around 10 this morning. Next one's going to come up at 1 o'clock. It's going to be lots of fun going on. A lot of people just having some fun, playing for the community, and this is all to benefit Panhandle Home Health, which is a fantastic cause. So let's say you're playing 18 holes of mini golf. How often are you going to shoot par or under on the 18 hole, I, 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 I can't talk golf, I apologize. How many times are you shooting par or under in the 18 holes that you're going to play today? You know, if I, if I can shoot for 500 and get nine out of the 18, I think it'll be a successful day. But realistically, I'm probably going to try and go for five. I'm going to set the bar low. It's, be, it's better to set the bar low and overachieve than to set the bar high and underachieve. So, realistic goal, try and go 500 on par today. If not, then try and go for like four or five hitting the par. So, I don't know. I, I think I feel pretty good today. I'll, I'll say that. I'll say. I'll say. I'm leaning more towards towards the nine than below the nine. I'll say. I'll tell you what. Underachieving is how I got a college degree. Uh, well, we don't have uh, the, uh, the the sounder for the second day in a row, and I, I blame our producer for that. But I wanted to get Parker's picks here on this Thursday. You know, we've got NFL. We've got uh, another exciting day of Major League Baseball. Go ahead and lay out what Parker's picks are, Parker, uh, for this Thursday uh, of sports. So for yesterday's picks, we ended up going two for three on those. We had the Nationals get a big win over the White Sox. We called that one out. It was a good day overall, getting that matchup correct. But the only one we missed on was the Reds getting the win over the Twins. Although Hunter Green did have a fantastic performance, 14 strikeouts yesterday. at ties for second this year in the majors. But Cincinnati wasn't able to pull that off, even though with the great pitching performance from Hunter Green. So we're going to turn to Thursday Night Football today. And I heard you say at the start, Luke, a little pessimistic today from a Giants fan playing the 49ers who look like Super Bowl contenders right now. I think right now the safe bet, especially with no Saquon Barkley today, is I'm taking the 49ers by a touchdown of today's lock today. It's an alternate spread here. The flat line right now put out by Vegas is 10.5 is the line. I'm going with a safer one. I think the 49ers win this one by a touchdown. Breaks my heart to pick against the Giants. But, I mean, you look at it on paper – 49ers have been fantastic so far this season. The Giants had to struggle to beat a bad Arizona team late in that game. And with no Saquon Barkley, who's the lifeblood of that Giants team, I just think that the 49ers are going to win this one by a touchdown. And then as well as that, I got Christian McCaffrey's over on rushing yards today. The Giants had problems last week stopping James Conner in Arizona. I think McCaffrey's an all-world running back at this point. 
And I think he's had the ability to break off big runs on this Giants defense that has their troubles against the run. I mean, you look at the linebackers, the more pass coverage guys, and Bobby Okereke and Isaiah Simmons, I think McCaffrey's going to have his day in the rushing game today. I'd take his over on rushing yards than that. With that being said, I think Brock Purdy has to do less for this team. So I'm taking Brock Purdy's under on passing yards today. I believe the line's set around 225. I'm taking under on Brock Purdy passing yards. So 49ers cover by a touchdown. McCaffrey's over on rushing yards. Purdy's under on passing yards today is what we're going to rock. What does a loss mean tonight, in theory, for your Giants? I mean, I know it's just week three, and you've got a winnable Monday night football game coming up against Seattle, but you look at the rest of the schedule, Dolphins, Bills, you know, my vaunted Raiders. You've got, obviously, your divisional games coming up against the Cowboys. I mean, a one and two start's not ideal. I'm not saying that it keeps the Giants out of the postseason, but, uh, I mean, this has been a little bit of a tough start for your ball club. No, it has been, absolutely. I mean, the Cowboys game is one to forget. I think Dallas is... They've, Dallas is at a point where I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender right now. That defense is by far and away the best in the league, if you ask me. And they're just clicking on all cylinders. Zach Prescott's doing his job, and this team is built around its, its ways. And I think just Dallas may be a step above what New York is right now. And you go to the Arizona game, I mean, it's hard to explain what happened in that situation. Maybe it was just a lackadaisical bit in the first half, but they were able to rally back, which I think was really important because if they start 0-2, with a loss against the Cardinals. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to throw in the towel early on the season, but it gives me the idea of throwing the towel in for the season if you lose to Arizona and start 0-2. But losing to San Francisco today, what it means exactly, I think more or less it's it, you got to win some games that maybe you're not favored in, which is the Miami game coming up in Week 5. And with Saquon Barkley looking like he's trending more towards coming back maybe next week against Seattle, if not two weeks from now against Miami. It's encouraging because, again, he's the lifeblood of that Giants offense. If they're able to rally this off, defense gets a little bit better against the rushing attack. I think things are going to be okay because it's an NFC right now. We don't know where things really are besides the division winners. I think the wild card's wide open. So that's the route New York's going to have to go to the playoffs. And as an aside for the 49ers, in two weeks from now, they obviously they have the Giants this week, and then they should beat up on Arizona next week. We've got a Cowboys 49ers Sunday night football that's coming up on the 8th of October. And my goodness, that's going to be a good game. But one thing that we talked about yesterday, Parker, off air, I want to play these comments really quickly and then kind of get some of your thoughts. Justin Fields met with the media yesterday and said some really interesting things. And we'll start with this. This is Justin Fields in a press conference with Chicago saying he's not really playing like himself right now. Of course, you know, things that I didn't like, I felt like, you know, I wasn't necessarily playing my game. Felt like I was kind of robotic and, you know, not just not 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 playing like myself. So, um, you know, um, my goal this week is just to, you know, say effort and just go out there and you know, play football how I know how to play football. And um, that's not uh, that includes uh, thinking less and just going out there and you know, uh, playing off of instincts rather than just of you know so much so to say info in my head, data in my head, and literally just going out there playing football. And he went a step further then. You know, he's talking about not playing like himself, too much information, et cetera, et cetera. He mentioned his coaching staff. Could be, uh, you know, uh, coaching, um, I think. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it makes it, you know, uh, they're doing their job when they're giving me, you know, what to look at and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I you know, can't be thinking about that when the game comes. I prepare myself throughout the week, and then when the game comes, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's time to play free at that point. So, um, you know, just thinking less and, you know, playing more. Odd things for Justin Fields to say. We bring that up, obviously, because of the Chicago Bears. Their quarterback, Justin Fields, is backup 
is Tyson Bajan, formerly of Martinsburg High School, and the Shepherd Rams. And, and Parker, things are getting to the point where it's not an unrealistic question to wonder whether or not Tyson's going to get snaps this year. No, I don't think it is, Luke. And it's definitely a troublesome to see for a Chicago Bears standpoint. It's, it's if you bench Justin Fields, you give up on Justin Fields, is I think the mantra if that conversation was to come up. If you bench him, you're giving in and saying, okay, this guy is no longer the guy. And I'm very intrigued, and somebody brought this up over on Twitter, and I thought this was an interesting point to bring up. Remember when Chicago traded the number one overall pick last year to Carolina? They got a second first-round pick. We've talked at length on it off of air, Luke, that how good this quarterback class in 2024 potentially could be. You look down the line, Caleb Williams, Drake May. You've got guys like Quinn Ewers who could take a step. Michael Penix Jr., I know some people are excited of. Shador Sanders, J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Riley Leonard, Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, Jordan Travis, Sam Hartman. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's lining up to be a fantastic quarterback class coming 2024. For them to give up at this point is saying we're drafting a quarterback in 2024. I think that's the case. I'm rooting for Tyson Bajit to maybe get out there at some point this year. But for the Bears to give up on Justin Fields means they're going to draft a quarterback, I believe, in 2024 with having two first-round picks. They have the power to go up and get who they want probably because you think, how bad is Carolina going to be this year? With Bryce Young, they've had their struggles. They started 0-2. If they have a bad year and finish in the top eight of picks and Chicago suddenly has two top eight picks, that's enough to move you to number one overall if you really want it. So there's, there's potential there for them to go after a quarterback, I think. But for the question, is Beijing going to get snapped at some point this year? I think it really depends on a Fields injury. I think that's what it's going to boil down to. I don't think Chicago is going to bench Justin Fields unless Justin Fields just loses the locker room and the coaching staff just loses all trust in him completely at that point, and they just say it's a lost cause and bench him towards the end of the year. I, I think it's his job until something of that level happens, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Well, before we let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, we spent a little time at Shepherd Football Practice yesterday. Uh, we're going to be involved tonight with the Ernie McCook Show, which you can hear over on 95.9 The Big Dog. Uh, still waiting to see what players, and obviously, more importantly, still figuring out what uh, what burger is going to be featured tonight in Captain Benders. But uh, give the listeners kind of some of your thoughts and uh, what to expect from the Ernie McCook Show that you can hear on 95.9 The Big Dog tonight at 730. No, I'm very excited to catch up with Coach McCook and yourself for the Coach McCook show tonight over on the Big Dog. Yeah, tune over on there if you can't make it out to Captain Benders in historic Sharpsburg, Maryland. We're going to start at 7.30 tonight over on the Big Dog. We're going to be talking the Cal game from last week, the exciting, thrilling finish to that one, kind of the emotions on the sidelines, things that were going on during that game. And then we're going to preview Kutztown coming up this week. It's a fierce rivalry in the PSAC East that's developed two of the better teams historically all time in Division Two football in Kutztown and Shepard, especially over the last 30 years between those two programs. And then whoever guests are going to come on and whoever we get that note and who it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be some exciting guests and to talk all things football, kind of give your peek into the locker room of some of these guys and get an idea of what their daily routine goes for. And it's going to be a lot of fun, especially if it's at Burger Night over at Captain Bender's. I'm excited to see what the burger for day is. Always great food over that way at Captain Bender. So, again, 7.30 tonight over on 95.9 The Big Dog. You can stream at bigdogfm.com and on the mobile app as well. Or you can come on out to Captain Bender's Tavern. We'd be excited to see you out that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's Parker Stone. He's over at Putting for the Panhandle at JD's down in Inwood. And uh, go ahead and bring home a trophy for the Panhandle, uh, uh, the sports team. How about that? 
I'll try my best, Luke, and no promises, but I'll try my best for you. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. And again, that's Parker Stone, and that's going to do it for us on this edition of Panhandle Sports Live. If you missed any or part of the show, you can find it on our Panhandle Live uh, Facebook and Spotify pages coming up here in just a couple of moments' time, and I invite you to stay tuned. Past the top of the hour, we'll have Panhandle Live with Marsha Kavalik coming your way. Uh, but I've been Luke Wiggs, and we will talk to you tomorrow. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media.